Welcome to the Spurs Up Show, home of the best Gamecocks content on the internet. The following is brought to you by our friends over at Twisted Tea. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels fun and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. We're also brought to you by our friends over at Prize Picks. Go download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com. And when you do, use the promo code TSUS to receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks is the simplest fantasy game on the market focused around prop total entries. You pick two to six players, and you can win up to 10 times on any entry. Prize Picks has no sharks optimizers, or mass multi-entry. It's literally just you against the projection. They also allow mixed sport entry. So, for example, you can take the over on LeBron, parlay with the under on Mahomes. They've got college sports, pro sports, literally anything and everything you can think of. They have got it over at Prize Picks. They also have a slick, easy-to-use mobile app, both on the App Store and Google Play. They're rated 4.8 stars in the App Store with rave reviews. So many fans and listeners of the Spurs Up show have made tons of money with our friends at Prize Picks, and you should as well. So again, go download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com. And when you do, use that promo code TSUS to receive a 100% instant deposit match up to. $100. Be sure to check them out and tell them that Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Less than one month from the start of the 2023 college football season, 
We're joined by national college football reporter for 24-7 Sports, Brandon Marcello. Brandon, I appreciate you taking the time. Again, my friend, I'll say this. I know it was brief, but it was a pleasure to cross paths with you at SEC Media Days and admiring your work from afar for quite a while, my man. What's going on? How are you? Appreciate you taking the time. I'm doing well, and uh, every day that passes by means we're closer to kickoff and hopefully uh, less and less speaking about NIL and conference realignment. (laughs) And trust me, Brandon, we'll get there in just a second. But obviously, I want to talk Gamecocks first. And speaking of not necessarily NIL, but on the recruiting front, South Carolina over the past week or so landing a big-time commitment in Dylan Stewart, the 2024 five-star edge. I want to speak more broad, though, Brandon, because, again, you know, you see all these different programs, all these different coaches, the trajectories of each of them. When you look at South Carolina and Shane Beamer, you know, the Gamecocks have recruited over their history at a pretty fair clip. I mean, you go back to what Steve Spurrier did. Even Will Muschamp, you know, had solid recruiting classes. But when you look at what Shane Beamer's doing – pulling in Nicholas Harbor in the 2023 cycle. Now you've got Dylan Stewart in the 2024 cycle. And there are plenty more where that came from. How impressive is it to you just what he's doing in Columbia, especially when you factor in just exactly what he inherited from the previous staff? Yeah, it reminds me a lot of that that, that tail end there when Shane Beamer was there back on Steve Spurrier's staff when the recruiting was hitting, hitting on all cylinders and they were doing so well in-state because, they, I mean, obviously there was some great in-state talent that was coming through uh, and, and in that region, I should say, in South Carolina in the early 2010s. And it reminds me a lot of that. I mean, listen, South Carolina is not the type of program that's going to get four or five stars in every recruiting class, but the fact that you can land two that you know will be like two difference makers uh, in one single signing class potentially is something that you look at and go, wow. And that puts South Carolina in a position to compete in the quote-unquote SEC East. Now that we're getting divisions, getting rid of divisions, it puts South Carolina in a position in the SEC to be able to win double-digit games in a regular season potentially here within the next three years. Um, very impressed by what Shane Beamer's done there, not just recruiting, but also just building the, rebuilding the culture there at South Carolina. Um, you know, it's interesting. I don't know what the, how the fan base received his hiring at Oklahoma, but I mean, I know amongst a lot of us in the industry, when he went to o- OU and then over to South Carolina, we we're all like, yeah, that just makes a lot of sense. And if they're wanting to hit on what really made them special under Steve Spurrier with recruiting, he was a big part of that, but also in rebuilding that culture. And we know that he was a type of coach that would build a really good staff because of all of his connections. And, and boy, he's, he's done that. And it seems like, I, I, you know, it, rarely do you sit there – in off seasons and you go, wow, that, that coach made the right decision there in that hire, or you go, wow, that's a heck of a hire, or that's a hire I wouldn't even thought of, but that makes a lot of sense. And this off season in particular for Shane Beamer, I, I was so impressed with how he was able to backfill his staff and hiring coaches, you know, Dow Loggins from Arkansas, a guy that, hasn't called plays since he was in the NFL and didn't do so well in the NFL, but understands that he's got a really sharp mind and is an amazing recruiter just in his short time coaching college football. And also in the NFL was lauded by all these 
coaches, but was put in terrible situations. It seemed like he got his chance to be a coordinator too early in his career, and he was thrown into the fire. He was almost destined to fail, and yet he did a pretty good job in the situations he was at and the context of everything. I, I say that to say this. Long story short, I, I've just been so darn impressed by what Shane Beamer has been doing every single turn and every single step of the way at South Carolina. Brandon, after the way you finished 2022, there are now real expectations coming into year three of Shane Beamer. And you look at a log jammed SEC East. Of course, we know it's Georgia at the top, probably Vandy at the seventh spot, although you could argue that maybe they finished sixth. But two through six is anybody's guess, right? I mean, I, there are a bunch of teams in that group that there are reasons you could convince me they'll win nine games. There are reasons you could convince me they'll win six. Where do you feel like going in this 2023 season when you factor in the return of Spencer Rattler and Juice Wells, which is a great place to start offensively, when you factor in their questions on the offensive front, the defensive front, some of the pieces they have returning on the defensive side, led by Nick eamon Warry and DQ Smith at those safety spots, when you factor all that together, and oh, by the way, Beamer ball, the way they've won on special teams over the first two years, when you factor all those things in, where do you feel like South Carolina fits in in a really crowded SEC East going into this season? You know, I think that they'll probably compete for for third in the SEC East, which doesn't sound great to everybody. I think Tennessee still uh, has the edge there. And the big thing with South Carolina is, as you mentioned, it's in the trenches. What are you going to do along the offensive line with Jalen Nichols out at, at left tackle? The running game needs to be much more productive this year. Take some pressure off of Spencer Rattler. Defensively, I love the secondary, but again, that defensive front is you got to get more production out of them. And you mentioned the special teams. You talk about Beamer ball. Again, the, it's amazing the production they got out of special teams last year. One of the best in the country in all categories, but that is so difficult to translate year over year more so than a great defense, so to speak. I think special teams is one of the toughest uh, uh, units to coach because, one, it's not just kicking and, and coverage units and all that stuff. But you're also trying to factor in luck. And you make your own luck, some people say. But getting turnovers, the bounce of the ball and everything, that's what Beamer Ball is all about, is getting those turnovers and forcing turnovers. And South Carolina was majestic in that sense last year. Can that be consistent enough this year? Because that will be the difference in a game or two or a win or two potentially. But again, if South Carolina is going to compete in the SEC East this year, they need to churn up that running game somehow. And with that offensive line, I'm just, I'm not quite seeing it this year. And then defensively, I got to see more from that defensive front. And I'm not sure that, that it's quite there yet either and so having said that this probably looks like a you know a seven win team but under Shane Beamer as we've seen the last couple of years he's always good for one and like last year two kind of upset wins and things we just didn't quite see coming up on the radar Brandon Marcello, 24-7 Sports. Brandon, you give a great national perspective on all things college football. So from the national scope, when you view this South Carolina program, and you mentioned a little bit earlier moving to 2024, the additions of Oklahoma, Texas to the SEC, no more divisions, right? And then we're going to 
a 12-team playoff. You know, I, I've said before, Brandon, because, of course, the goal objective of every fan base in the SEC, call it for what it is, is to get to Atlanta, win an SEC title, what have you. But I think a program like South Carolina and what Shane Beamer can do is get them to a point where they're winning eight to nine games a year consistently, not saying that's going to start this year, but get to that point. Every three or four years, we'll say maybe two or three, you have the right quarterback, you have the right schedule, you got a veteran team, whatever it might be, and you pop off and win double-digit games and you make a college football playoff. I feel like schools like South Carolina, Arkansas, Ole Miss, Kentucky, those middle-of-the-pack teams that have great upside, they're all sort of you know, in that situation because winning the SEC is only going to get tougher. And when you look at a 12-team playoff, as you mentioned previous, I mean, if you're a double-digit win SEC team, you're going to have a really strong case to get in the college football playoff. Do you feel like those are realistic and fair expectations? And if not, what would you label as fair expectations for the South Carolina football program? Yeah, sure. I think South Carolina is that type of program under Shane Beamer that once once every four years, you're probably in position to make a playoff in a 12-team playoff. As you said, you hit that 10-win number. I think that's going to be kind of the magic number for an SEC team moving forward. And South Carolina is in that group of schools, uh, as you mentioned. And then also, you know, I, people talk about strength of schedule and all this stuff. It, that's not – to me, if you're just an SEC team, that's just don't, – don't even factor that. Well, will we play this team in the knockoff? No. Just win 10 games, no matter your schedule, if you're an SEC team, and you're going to have a chance to reach this new 12-team playoff. And with all the chaos that's going on with realignment right now, I think the SEC is even in a stronger position. I mean, you know, I don't want to talk, you know, look at analytics and all that stuff, but hey, I mean, what's stopping the SEC from maybe getting four teams in this 12-team playoff every every few years? Who, who knows? But yeah, Carolina's in that spot, but again, you know, uh, how often? Probably if you're under Shane Beamer, probably once every four years having a potential to jump into that into that playoff party. Brandon, let's jump to the SEC West because there are so many intriguing storylines from who's going to play quarterback at Alabama, LSU trying to go back-to-back in the SEC West and maybe finish the job this time against the East representative, a.k.a. Georgia, as we all know and expect. Uh, Texas A&M with the Bobby Petrino thing, does it work? Can A&M have a massive bounce-back season and make some noise in the West? You go down the list, man. Lane Kiffin, you know, Sam Pittman with K.J. Jefferson and Rocket Sanders, a new beginning in, in Starkville with the passing of the late great Pirate. Uh, and I'm forgetting one. Who am I forgetting here? Oh, by the way, uh, yeah, like I mentioned, Kiffin as well. If, if there's one st- – oh, by the way, Hugh Freeze at Auburn. My goodness, he's been making waves on the recruiting trail. I'm sitting here drawing a blank. Of all the top storylines in the SEC West going into this season, what's the one that jumps out to you or the one that you're most excited to follow? Because it feels like there's so much fireworks and so much dramatics in that side of the SEC. Yeah, you combine, you you got, there's not often you get one place where you get all of that combined fireworks and the dramatics and it's Texas A&M and what that offense is going to look like and whether it's successful. And if it's not successful, What's that relationship like with Bobby Petrino, Steve Adazio, and Jimbo Fisher on the offensive side of the ball? And how does that translate on game days and when things are going wrong? They're saying all the right things right now. And I believe that they are in earnest, Jimbo Fisher and Bobby Petrino, working together in lockstep to make sure this offense is explosive. And Bobby Petrino is going to be calling the offense, even though Jimbo Fisher just like won't 
quite clearly admit to it publicly for whatever reason. I guess he's got to help his ego a little bit or at least maybe put on a play when he's on stage talking to people. Uh, it's a very strange situation. And But the thing is, is, you're dealing with two fiery personalities, two controlling personalities that ha- don't take uh, direction from people very often. This year will be Bobby Petrino's first year where he's got to take direction or answer to someone on game day on the sideline for the first time in 21 years. He has not been an assistant coach on game day since he was at Auburn in 2002. And then a couple of years later, he was trying to steal Tommy Tuberville's job as head coach. People change over the years, but how much do they really change? And Jimbo Fisher, he's used to calling plays. That's all he does, even when he's as a head coach. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So what happens, say, week three, week four, when things aren't going well and they've had all these three and outs and um, things aren't working and Jimbo just goes, Bobby, let me do this. You know, I, I don't know. Having said that, I think Bobby Petrino's one of the best play callers to be in college football in the modern era. He's severely underrated in that aspect. I think, obviously, because of his off-the-field stuff, that gets overshadowed by that. But I watched him up close at Arkansas when I previously covered Arkansas in the late 2000s. And I'll tell you, he gave Nick Saban headaches in preparation and on game days, despite Alabama winning those games, especially on the opening drive, those opening scripts, Bobby Petrino is a master. I would say he's maybe, I think he might be the best in college football when it comes to an opening script to a game. Those first seven to 11 plays that you develop before you go out there. He's just got an amazing mind for that. And A&M's got the pieces. They've got Number one recruiting class, number two, number three, number four over the last four to five years, they've got the pieces. Despite losing some of those pieces through the transfer portal, they still have them. And it's either this year or next year that they should be a team that's competing for an SEC title with that talent. I don't think it's this year. I think it's next year if I'm looking at the window. But the window is creaking open this year. And they need to challenge, I think, for double-digit wins for this season to be termed a success there. So it is such, so much going on there. But 
there's a lot at stake at Texas A&M this year. And then not to mention that, listen, if they have another losing season, they have another five-win season like they did last year, people wondering about the buyout for Jimbo Fisher. If you want my opinion, if he wins five games again this year, they will fire him. They will pay out that buyout, and they will start anew because there is so much at stake next year going in the SEC. you got big brother Texas coming into the conference, and that's changing the dynamic of everything there. The recruiting efforts are going to start evening out a little bit because if you look at the analysis of Texas A&M since they joined the SEC in 2012 and left Texas behind in the Big 12, A&M's recruiting in-state is almost flipped as far as percentage of blue-chip recruits that they've been able to get inside the state there, and that's going to start evening out. It's already evening out, but it's going to start evening out even more here in the next few years because Texas is in the SEC And this is an inflection point for the Aggies. And if Jimbo Fisher has a losing season this year, I I guarantee you that A&M will be more than willing to pay that buyout and uh, start anew with a new coach. Brandon, Minnesota back in 1934 to 1936 was the last time we had a three-peat national champion. Many have tried at it. All have failed. The Georgia Bulldogs will look to become the first since the Gophers did it way back when – They've got the best roster in college football. They've got what most folks are calling a quote-unquote easy schedule. Georgia's a shoe-in, pencil them in, they're going to win the national title, right? Wrong. You and I both know it's just not that simple. So, I mean, I'll actually ask you, do you think it's that simple, or do you think Georgia may have a, a, a bump in the road or two? Again, if you replace your quarterback, you replace both starting tackles, Mike Bobo's a new offensive coordinator. I mean, certainly – They're going to be the pick in the SEC, but we all know, again, the challenge. The Spurs Up show is brought to you by our friends over at Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any hard beverage you've had before. It's made with real brewed tea and packs a flavorful punch with 5% alcohol and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up any occasion, especially when you're cheering for your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting friends at home, Twisted Tea is there to elevate the game day experience. It perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable moments. So let's toast to unforgettable game day experiences. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels fun and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. Is uh, of doing what they're trying to do this year. And I think the fact that George is even the favorite to do it just really speaks to Kirby Smart and the fantastic program that he has built, the true juggernaut in Athens what do you make of the dogs this year? I mean, again, is it as simple as penciling them in as the national champion, or do you think there's real reasons why, you know, the field could take home the trophy this year? Yeah, they're my pick to win it, and it's because that roster has been so consistent in this transfer portal era. Everybody else just gets, seems to get debilitated or they get really affected at some positions, and I would say they're probably like one of three rosters across the country that year to year in this transfer portal era has been able to hold it on. And that's why Georgia, which has been a developmental program, taking that Alabama blueprint 
I think Kirby Smart, instead of us talking about him taking the Alabama blueprint, I think he took the Alabama blueprint and improved upon it and has almost perfected it there at Georgia as far as a developmental program. Um, but I do think there are much more questions here at Georgia than maybe we're actually shining light on. Um, you know, listen, they lose Jalen Carter to the NFL, of course, a generational-type defensive tackle. Bear Alexander, who is going to step in there, maybe be the next big name, he transfers out to USC. And yet a lot of people, including myself, we just sat there like a day or two later and went, yeah, they'll be fine. I mean, will they? We don't quite know that. And then the quarterback spot, I think a lot of us still are have it programmed in our brain. We need to shut it off that Stetson Bennett was just a former walk-on. Well, no, he was a great quarterback. I want to say he was elite. I think he was great on the precipice of being an elite quarterback in college football. Is Carson Beck really going to be an improvement? I think a lot of people just almost assume that he's going to be just as good, if not an improvement. Um, there's a lot of questions there. But elsewhere, across the roster, everything's strong and great and elite, and they should they should win it. Um, and when we talk about programs that could compete against Georgia, I think right now the, the top two contenders are Ohio State, which obviously pushed them to the brink last year, but Ohio State, again, they're having to replace a lot of pieces there, including quarterback, and then Michigan. Uh, I love the way Michigan has built that roster, and Jim Harbaugh, especially in the trenches. They're very well balanced. They could do anything they want offensively against you. And defensively, they just have seemingly star makers being produced every year along that defensive line. But if you look in the SEC, I, I think the top contenders there against Georgia are Bama, LSU, and AM. And right now, I'd say LSU is about inch ahead of Alabama as we talk in the preseason just because LSU has their quarterback situation figured out with Jaden Daniels despite for whatever reason people still thinking like hey is there really is Jaden Daniels actually the best quarterback there maybe is it Garrett Nussmeyer no Jaden Daniels is the guy right now but Bama I mean what the heck are they gonna do at, at quarterback their roster I think is you know it's the second most talented in in, in the SEC but man, there's some weak points happening there. And for Bama, you know, the fact that they had to go out to the transfer portal and grab two players to help that secondary from the group of five at a position that Nick Saban coaches, that shows you that just as far as depth, maybe not starters, but depth, Alabama has kind of swung and missed on the recruiting trail the last few years. And that, that, that makes you wonder, prompts questions about whether Alabama can be a championship program this season. Brandon Marcello, 24-7 Sports. Brandon, you mentioned top of the show. Realignments has been the hot topic of conversation in college football over the last few weeks. Let's start with the Pac-12. What are the odds they survive? Because it just feels like day after day after day, teams are getting plucked. You know, we've heard for a while the thought of three mega conferences, and I think many of us kind of just acknowledged it and sort of laughed it off, shrugged it off. And, you know, those of us who grew up watching, you know, Reggie Bush and, and Southern Cal and Washington and Arizona, Arizona State with those late games right on the East Coast, that may not be much of a reality in them anymore. The sense of that being via the Pac-12. Your overall thoughts on the conference, and I mean, it feels like the conference is, is on life support at this point. 
Yeah, it, it is. And it, it, it sucks. And if you're a college football or even college basketball, but I would say college football mainly fan, this, if the Pac-12 folds or becomes something that resembles more like the Mountain West, it's going to hurt the sport. And, but why? We need a West Coast footprint that is competitive and nationally relevant for college football to remain uh, healthy, in my opinion. Because now that if, you're, if, you, if this conference falls apart and you start bringing in Arizona schools of the Big 12 or maybe Oregon and Washington or maybe even Stanford and Cal into the Big 10, college football is not going to resemble anything what it used to be like. Everybody's just going to be part of a of the quote unquote, you know, NFL, so to speak. And you're just going to have divisions within that. You're not going to have some natural rivalries continue. You're not going to have some annual games that you're always able to pencil in around this time of year. And out on the West Coast, you're eliminating a lot of West Coast games when you have, say, an Arizona or an Arizona State playing half of their conference schedule on the road in Texas or even at UCF or Cincinnati, um, it changes things. It also changes the dynamic. It also changes the, the, the style of play in college football. Um, there's a reason why it's Pac-12 after dark and not Big 12 after dark. One, because time zones, obviously, but also because of the style of play that lent itself to more high-scoring, dramatic affairs coming down to the last minute style of play is going to change, you know, ask Texas A&M and Mizzou when they left the big 12 for the sec and how they had to change the way they played um, in personnel one. And secondly, in philosophy, there's a lot of reasons why realignment, but in particular, the dying on the vine that is pac 12 is detrimental to the game of college football and I'm not sure a lot of people have thought it through that way. I think a lot of us have gotten caught up in just the, the, the perverted excitement in watching teams move around. It's almost like fantasy football. We're moving these pieces around, and it's exciting to see new things happening. But in the end, I don't think it's healthy at all for the sport. And um, it's especially not going to be good for fans. I mean – Good luck if you go to games still. Good luck traveling halfway across the country every other week, you know, during the season and trying to get to games. You're just not going to be able to do it. It's become a TV product. It's become an NFL product and um, in a lot of ways. And um, it's incredible how quickly this all has happened uh, with the Pac-12 now sitting there on life support. And either way – Pac-12, just even if it does survive, it's going to look nothing like it, it did just a couple of years ago. And continuing, Brandon, the realignment talks, the ACC making noise this week, Florida State's board of chairmen signaling that, you know, they do have the intent to leave the ACC, which didn't necessarily shock me when you think about the brand that is the Florida State Seminoles. But I mean, you look, Florida State, Clemson, that's a talking point as well. We've heard rumors maybe they could go to, you know, the Big Ten. I mean, what do you think the future of the ACC is? Many Gamecock fans, of course, say, could Clemson come to the SEC? Could Florida State come? What do you see there? And it also sounds like, I think I saw an article you wrote that 
you don't expect the SEC to expand, at least at this moment, beyond the 16 member institutions that it will have next year. So thoughts on that. And of course, like I mentioned, the future of the ACC, especially if you lose your top two dogs in FSU and Clemson. Yeah, there. listen, Florida State's been doing this for the last year. It ramped up this past spring when Florida State finally decided to start going public with it, at least behind closed, I say public, but at least actually going public with it amongst their peers and chirping more about how they wanted more revenue. This really is nothing new that we saw from Florida State here recently in their board of trustees meeting saying we deserve more money. We're not sure we could survive in the ACC and we need to start looking elsewhere potentially. They were saying that, uh, A.D. Michael Alford, the president, they were saying that at the ACC spring meetings back in May. And we wrote plenty about that, and it was upsetting to a lot of ACC administrators across the, the way. And listen, the, there's been seven members there in the ACC who have been actively looking for the last year of a potential way out. And the two schools really leading that have been Florida State and Clemson. And I, I, you know, it was interesting when you listen and you watch that board of trustees meeting, you had one trustee member say, um, give us an exit plan within the next 12 months, provide us something now that we're talking about this. I mean, they've been talking about it ad nauseum behind the scenes. And they finally did it publicly in that board meeting, but in, in executive sessions, they've been talking about this for the better part of a year about how to break the grant of rights. And you heard the chairman say that the grant of rights is not what's going to keep them in the ACC. The fact of the matter is, is that, yes, it is. <laughs> That's what's going to keep them in the ACC. That is what is keeping them in the ACC. Otherwise, Florida State would have left already. I would have told, I tell you that right now, Florida State would be gone. They would be out right now if that grant of rights wasn't an issue. The problem is, is that no one's going to pay their way out. No one's going to help them at all. Yes, Florida State is a desirable brand, but no one's going to help pay to get them out. The SEC won't even do that with OU and Texas coming out early. They got to deal with their own thing with the Big 12. So it's not going to happen with Florida State um, with that. Now, what are the options? Big 10, SEC are the big options. I think that the brass there wants to go to the Big 10 from what I've been told which is interesting for a lot of reasons. <laughs> um, I We'll see. I'm not so sure the Big Ten right now, you know, is open to that, especially if it's something like where they're dealing with their grant of rights and how's that going to look and what's that, you know, I, I don't know. Same with the SEC, obviously, because as you mentioned, I've written about that. The SEC is just not interested in expansion right now. Right, right teams come along, yeah, they'll think about it, but is it Florida State and Clemson with the grant of rights situation and potentially hurting their relationship already with ESPN, which owns the ACC grant of rights or not owns a grant of rights, but has that partnership, obviously uh, there's a lot, lot going on there. Um, now talk about scenarios. I'll throw this scenario out to you and I haven't written about this and I'm, I probably should, but don't, don't be surprised if say, Florida State does exit the ACC and says, well, we'll pay the penalties and we'll go to court with you or whatever. Um, but they do so as an independent. They go independent. Um, and they try to ride that out potentially for however long they have to 
before joining a conference. Uh, I think that's a, that's a, very much a possibility that's on the table and not just for Florida state, but potentially Clemson. Cause I think if Florida state were to test that out and actually do it, Clemson has been very much on the same wavelength as Florida state is about their future and what to potentially do. And that includes maybe going independent. These are all options that have been weighed by those seven programs, but in particular Clemson and Florida state. So when you hear Florida state chirping, Clemson's chirping too, but they're just not doing it as publicly and as being as boisterous Mm -hmm. as Florida state has been doing. So, you know, stay tuned to that, but I, I just don't think any, I don't know. I, I said, I try to, you know, listen, we always want to hear, Hey, here's what's going to happen. I want this, but I'm going to tell you something. Anybody that tells you they know what's going to happen with realignment and everything is talking out their rear ends because no one knows except for really a handful of people because they have to keep it tight at these schools. It's usually their general counsel and their president and maybe their AD. But sometimes the AD doesn't even quite know, which is crazy to think, but rarely does the AD, are they up to speed to it every single day? It's usually the president, the general counsel, and maybe one other big time power broker. And that's it. And it is quiet. And they have to keep it that way for legal reasons and also just because any little trip up could mess the entire situation up. So what's going to happen? I don't know, but Florida state wants out. I mean, they don't want to stay at all, but if they were going to leave, they would have left by now. So unless they find a new Avenue, which I think is potentially independence here in the next year or two, uh, they're, they're locked into the ACC. Brandon, you mentioned college football is going to look nothing like we remember it. I would say it's already there. Last thing before I get you out of here, are, are you worried about the future of the sport? Again, you're someone like me. You love this game. I'm sure you grew up watching games. And, you know, change is always met with resistance. But, I mean, this thing is radically changing with NIL, with portal, with realignment, other things. Are, are you worried about the future of college football that you think we may look up in? 10 years and it'd be a product we don't even recognize. Yeah, potentially. And yes, um, I will say this, like as far as a TV viewing product, it's not going to be all that different because you're going to sit down on Saturdays and get to watch games. But if you're a fan that actually you're involved with a singular team and that team has moved conferences and you've got a full new schedule and differences there. And you like to go to maybe one away game a year or two or, for that matter, you liked going to, you know, uh, a home game every year. Well, the schedule is going to be different. You're probably not going to be able to travel as much as you want, if at all. And that's going to change kind of your um, uh, ties to that program. They're probably not going to be as deep. And that's what's going to – when we talk about college football not being the same and maybe the product being hurt, that's what I mean. I mean, for – you know, for me – you know, I'm obviously a college football fan, but I'm also a reporter. But, you know, on Saturdays, I'm either on the road covering a game or I'm at home watching like nine games simultaneously on my screen. And that's not going to change for me. But if I was rooting for a singular team and one team, it's 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 changed and it is changing. And I wonder about access for programs in the postseason. Yes, we're going to 12 teams. And the whole point of that in the college football playoff is to expand 
options and access. But with the consolidation of the sport, it's almost becoming like, well, it's going to be Big Ten teams and SEC teams with one or two ACC and Big 12 teams mixed in there. And what is group of five football going to look like even? And the AAC, the MAC, how's this going to affect, affect MAC football? How's this going to affect Mountain West football? Is the Mountain West going to become stronger? Or because Pac-12 football is dying, does that actually hurt recruiting for the Mountain West? Believe it or not, it, there's a lot of dominoes that will fall with this that even if you're not being directly affected by realignment, it's going to affect you somehow, some way. And then also this, you hear Florida State chirping as much as they are because of money. And the thing that struck out to me is we all know everything's become so much more expensive over the last year or two with inflation, whatever. Those words are so they're bigger than me. I, I have no idea what all that means. But I know that when I go to the grocery store, I go buy something. It's much more damn expensive now than it was a year ago. And I'm like, what the heck is happening? And that, of course, is translating construction costs and also just operating costs, these athletic departments. And listening to the Florida State Board of Trustees meeting recently, you know, they're building a new facility or have been building a new facility that's very similar to what Clemson did a while back. And they were saying that the costs for that are 30 to 40 percent higher for a similar building than it would have been a year or two ago. Costs are going up. And that's why all these programs are scared to death that they're going to get left behind because money drives everything. Everything's so much more expensive now. There's less money out there to go around, as we've seen with the consolidation of these conferences, but also because as a result of media companies laying off and cutting back on costs and being more selective with what television packages they have. Um, it's, it's every program for itself right now. And everybody wants more money. And the problem is there's not enough to go around and some programs are going to be kicked to the curb. And we are actively seeing that right now. Brandon Marcello, 24-7 Sports, does great work. Brandon, let everybody know who's tuned in, where they can check out all of your work. Hey, just go to 247sports.com. Uh, follow me on socials, uh, Twitter or X or whatever the heck we're calling it now. <laughs> Be Marcello and then all other socials, Instagram, TikTok, uh, Brandon Marcello. Go check it out. Brandon, appreciate you taking the time, my friend. Let's definitely do it again soon. Yeah, no problem. I love it. 